Welcome back to the Gimme Some Truth Studios here on the corner of Glenway and Monroe, where we've learned, Dan, fan mail can actually be delivered if you just write corner of uh, Glenway and Monroe. Uh, to that end, we want to thank our number one fan, Flocking Floaty, for the holiday card. We also received a very special card from some other devoted listeners. While we won't go into the details, uh, let's say state secrets are involved, uh, cards served as a great reminder as we go into the holidays what a great community all of you that listen to this podcast have built and how honored we are uh, to play a small uh, and apparently, according to our listener stats, shrinking uh, <laughs> part in that. Uh, as always, I'm do- joined by the Max the Dog to my Grinch, Dan Fallon. Uh, Dan, important question this week. Does Fish cover Christmas songs? Ah, uh, Fish the Band. Yes. Do they cover Christmas songs? Um, they have played Little Drummer Boy, I believe, on a few different occasions, like in the middle of... Uh, some sort of extended jam. They've gone into a little drummer boy uh, meanderings. Um, other than that, oh, a couple of years ago, they played 13 nights at Madison Square Garden in a row and called it the Baker's Dozen. Uh, and it was donut themed. Every night had a different donut theme. Um, other fun fact, they did not repeat one song over the 13 shows. I think they played something like 275 unique songs over the course of 13 nights. They played Oh Holy Night. If you get the joke there on the donuts, and there you go. So clever. I think those are the only two I can come up with right now. But I'll let you know after the four shows I see at the end of this year. Which would bring your total this year to how many shows? Fish shows. Yeah. Ten. And how many concerts overall? Uh, that'll be close to 30 since October 3rd, but I don't know previous so that to that. Definitely more, well over 40 for the year. Uh, because you got your birthday gift was 40 concerts for... 40 years. Correct. And uh, Even though I'm not 40. And wisely, neither we have not attended a concert together. Correct. I think that makes perfect sense. That was, I, that was the only caveat I gave to my wife. Was that I will do this do, as long yeah, as I don't have to do it with Keith. Don't schedule Keith involved. Correct. Uh, we're also fortunate to be joined by head coach and techni- technical director of Forward Madison, Daryl Shore. Greetings. Thank you, Keith. Thank you, Dan, for having me on part two. <laughs> Does anybody know that my mic didn't work in the last one? We've told them. Yeah. We've informed the, the public uh, that we there were mistakes were made, um, that it was a massive own goal on Keith's behalf. I not just mine. can't promise that I'll be as good as I was the first We've time. We've also told people that, no kidding, we think it was probably the best podcast <laughs> we did. And we're like good. literally not blowing yeah. smoke. I remember it ended and being like, that was by far the best podcast we've ever done. Uh, although addition by subtraction... No Neil this week. Neil is not joining us. He's off in Kansas City taking his badges. Do you think he, d- does Neil dive into the barbecue while he's down there? Do we know anything about what he gets served food wise? Does he? Well, I'll say this: if he's diving into the barbecue, then he's not paying attention to the B license because they they get after you. They don't give you a lot of from eight a.m. to eight p.m. You're it's pretty regimented. Now, what he does between eight p.m. and eight a.m. Uh, I'm afraid to ask. (laughs) (laughs) I think we all are. Yeah. Uh, So Neil not joining us. Uh, We are joined by producer Hannah, which gives this particular podcast a better than 0% chance of being released. Uh, Also, pretty cool last week, Hannah's uh, band, uh, producer Hannah's band, Labrador, the official sad bitch band of the pod, uh, opened for Black Belt Eagle Scout Thursday night at the high noon. So if any of you were in, in, in attendance 
you know, feel free to write in your, your comments and hopefully you made it out. Uh, so we've got kind of actually for an off season show, quite a bit. We want to talk about, we want to talk about with, uh, Daryl, uh, kind of a season recap and evolution and then look forward to 2020 as this is our last kind of pod of the, of the year, but of actually, the decade of the decade. In fact, uh, it's one one full decade down for forwards, backwards. <laughs> We've just podcasts. been slogging through for an entire decade. It it only feels that way to our listeners. Would you say, by the way, the <laughs> high point of the the decade, and really the only thing that you've done well in the past decade, was uh, the your your coughing naming genius? With <laughs> um, I'm pretty proud of it. I mean, I gotta say, I I like stupid stuff like this. Like I, I take a lot of pleasure out of like, yes, I won the coffee naming contest. Like that, it has no tangible benefit to me other than I get, I do get some free coffee. Thank you. Just coffee. But like in the grand scheme of life, it's like, you know, I got some free coffee. I would have drank coffee anyway. It's cool that I don't have to pay for it for about half of the year. Um, get the roaring twenties off to a great start with uh, free coffee. But I get like an inordinate amount of joy out of like winning stupid contests like this. So did uh, you stuff the ballot box? I did not. I did put in a, a series of names. Oh, I think actually okay. I saw you the night uh, something at the uh, at the team store. I mean, I spent literally minutes brainstorming and just firing off names. Um, thought a couple of them were pretty good. Thought a couple were pretty pretty stupid. But um, yeah. And the winner was wake the flock up because uh, yeah. I you know I didn't think they were going to name a coffee fuck Chattanooga. <laughs> So <laughs> I had to go with my uh, trademark. Be, be choice. I, think, I think that's already been trademarked. That's really what was holding him back was intellectual property. Flock Chattanooga. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so congratulations, Dan. You were visited by the Just uh, Coffee Co-op folks and yes. uh, by Turbo, who yeah. are no longer in a sling. No, no longer slinging. Um, I made them some coffee. We did some tastings. Um, took a picture in front of my awesome Christmas tree. That's uh, that's kind of uh, exclusive content. We're breaking news. About yeah. Well, it, it's I mean not really because it's already out there, but I mean you know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> did they tag our, our? They did not. They tagged me on Twitter. They didn't. I don't. You know. I didn't think they wanted to cross pollinate with our pod. Yeah. That's well. We're we're all. About <clears> we're more of an eight o'clock coffee pod. <laughs> we're all about cross cross content, really. I, so I see, sorry. I yeah. see you're drinking coffee right now. Are you drinking? The wake the flock up right now. Of course I am. Okay, good, good answer. Uh, always, always be, always be selling. <laughs> Which, uh, by the way, just coffee I wasn't co-op. very good at that. Apparently, I should have stayed on the marketing <laughs> side of the house. Uh, by the way, just coffee co op. We're always looking for sponsors for 2020. Uh, if you're looking for something that's going to decrease the v- value of your brand. So Keith, you're telling me he still has not found a sponsor no. for the podcast. No. I don't know how hard he's been working. At That's it. the only reason Daryl keeps coming back yeah. on the pod is to, to just laugh at me about <laughs> <laughs> having still not sold a sponsorship associated with Ford Madison. Have you gotten a sponsorship? No. 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 Um, and they're already in the podcast game because they, they have a just coffee. They have the um, WTF for ah. Mark Marin, like one of the most famous podcasts yeah. in the world. They make a coffee. So, I mean, seems like for us, we got to be like second or third most famous yeah. podcast. I think on the near right west side of Madison, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, at least out of the origin- studio, we may be the second most famous podcast originating in the studio, yeah. which is so. Uh, despite you know not a lot of uh, 
sort of news originating out of Forward Madison itself in terms of new signings or anything like that since we last recorded. Uh, a couple of kind of big developments in League One overall, and I'll leave it to you guys which one you want to take on first. Uh, we can talk about the kind of changed U.S. Open Cup layout, or we can talk about uh, kind of the developing USL League One to League Two or to Championship transfer kind of things. How are, how are we feeling? Let's go U.S. Open Cup. So um, I think the new announcement was that the MLS teams will be coming in at an earlier round. Um, and what else? I I, that was kind of the big well, deal, that then, there'll be more lower league versus uh, MLS matchups. Yeah, they said there were 19, I think, uh, sort of David versus Goliath matchups last year and that they're hoping that number plus an additional 16. The other thing is the U.S. Open Cup is uh, starting earlier. Uh, and in fact, uh, what I gathered, and you can correct me here if I'm wrong, uh, Forward Madison will be starting their first round of matches April 7th. That's where they've led us to believe. Okay. Um, so the, 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 the good part about the Open Cup process is that they've gone away from the back-to-back weeks. So if you play April 7th or 8th, you won't play again then on the 14th or the 15th. You'll actually have two weeks in advance or two weeks after, which one, gives you a little bit of time to sell the game if you're the host team, and two, it gives you a little more rest time. Uh, And for us, uh, in the great Open Cup run that we made, which I think we'll get into later, last year, uh, with our relationship with Minnesota, with the, the roster issues they were going through, uh, we knew we weren't going to have their players in our Open Cup games, but we thought we were going to have them for our league games. Uh, that didn't happen in the first two months of the season. So we actually played 11 games in 33 days. And so that's tough. Uh, that's that's really tough. Yeah. So I think the changes of giving you a little bit more of a break in between games is a positive. It's also us, uh, League One, and the championship are coming in at the same time, okay. uh, which I think is a great uh, opportunity for us, hopefully, to play a championship team earlier, mm-hmm. uh, but at the same time, maybe not play a championship team, play an amateur team first, and then knowing the next round, I think it's 11 MLS teams will come in in the early stages, and then the next nine or so um, come in uh, after. Um, so I think some of them come in in their second round, and then the rest come in in the third round. So, so how is that going to be? Uh for preparation for the team that may i mean last year uh you know that was right around the start of league matches for you guys is that going to make uh preparation a little bit tougher uh is it going to change anything going into preseason um think a little bit about a a bigger squad early in the year anything like that no I, i don't think much changes uh first game and i think uh on friday they're going to come out and announce the home openers for every club in the USL League One. I heard I, it here first. Yeah, I don't <laughs> think I'm. I, I don't think I'm uh, breaking any rules by saying we start March 28th. Um, we do start on the road. That much I can tell you here. I can't tell you who, but I can tell you we're <laughs> on the road to start the season. Uh, it just basically means that you've got to have your group ready to go uh, by week one. Uh, we're gonna, you know, be on the road and then. Our hope is that U.S. soccer rewards us from last year and gives us the um, the proverbial two-sided coin and makes sure that we win the coin toss <laughs> to host an, an Open Cup game. And uh, I think it's only fair uh, that we played our three Open Cup games last year on the road, that hopefully we get um, a home one to, to begin with. But 
probably just jinxed it by saying that I hope we get a home game. Fairness and equity is what's been going on in professional soccer for I mean, what you're, what you're hoping for is uh, uh, Manchester City. I was going. waiting for well, Keith well, to go there. What you would like, though, and, and you would hope U.S. soccer one day will, will take homage to this, but, you know, in Germany, the, the higher yeah. team always goes on the road. road and yeah. so yeah. that would be a great way to maybe change the Open Cup to where last year we went to Bavarians because they're an amateur team. We're a pro team. Yeah. So that made a lot of sense. Yeah. Granted, for us, it was Milwaukee. It was an hour and a yeah. half drive, but that's the way it should be. Then we had to go to El Paso. Uh, it would have been awesome if El Paso had to come to us. Uh, regardless, we, we smacked them, so that didn't really matter. <laughs> so, uh, but Take we, that bet, O'Rourke. We, 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 we got caught going to St. Louis, which was our third game. Uh, and, again, I referenced it before. Played 11 games in 33 days. Yeah. We were tired. We, yep, we yep. were a tired team when we went to St. Louis. I'm not saying we deserved to win the game. They were the better team on the day. But that being said, had we been a little bit rested or had we played the game at home, then maybe it's a different yeah. outcome. Last question about this. Um, what is the reason that they haven't gone to a bigger club, goes to smaller club? Is, who, is, is there a faction of – is it the bigger clubs that are – we'd rather take our chances and not have to pay to travel? I mean, has it really come down to we'd rather roll the dice and save some money? I mean, you had – you know, a few years back, you had the bigger clubs were going on the road and then they would buy the – the game and, and they'd pay the lower league team to come. Uh, I can reference oh, wow. before I even got there, RSL bought an open cup game from Minnesota. Minnesota was like, yeah, we'll take the game. This is pre MLS for Minnesota. Yeah. We'll take the money and run. And they went, took the money, went to RSL and beat them anyway. But um, I think, <laughs> I think there's a little bit of uh, you have to worry about that. So you have to set some standards. Uh, I just don't know that the MLS teams, um, Though maybe their coaches and some of their technical staffs would be like, yeah, that'd be cool. I don't know that ownership groups would be like, yeah, let's just pay to go to these smaller markets. Now, that being said, I think they would be on board if there was some sort of funding for it right. where U.S. soccer does, um, you know, they reimburse you up to a certain amount for your trips because, you know, you take a, a team like, Seattle, they they have to pay whatever to open their stadium, and that's why they always play right. at their training facility in the first couple of rounds because they control that. Whereas if they were to play in CenturyLink, you know they'd only get a couple thousand people to come to an Open Cup game. They got to pay whatever monies they have to pay to open yeah. up their stadium and all that stuff. So I, I do think that hopefully in in time, U.S. Soccer is going to say, "Hey, let's do this the right way, yep. and let's now send our." bigger clubs to the smaller clubs because it not only makes it a little bit more fair it grows the game i mean how yeah. how great would it be if we played lafc in madison and carlos vela had to come play at our our place that'd yep. be it'd be yep. awesome we'd have we seat five thousand we'd probably have eight thousand that would want to come to that game yep well and then it helps you know financially some of those lower division clubs as well who yep. are you know struggling and you know, obviously not every lower division club has the attendance that Forward Madison yep. has had. And so having that big draw, it also increases awareness. You know, you add that gate receipt to your to your day for, you know, if you're a Lansing or something like that, you know, who've now gone under, that maybe changes the economics a little bit more in yep. your favor as well. So th I, th I think that would be great. Uh, the one downside that people have mentioned is that, you know, this little earlier Open Cup start may make it tougher on some of the teams that rely on college players, particularly in yeah. know, kind of USL League 2. 
something you know to consider. There's always this kind of trade-off, but as you've noticed, noted that the greater gap you avoid that 11 games in 30 days, which is a that's you know holiday season as we're seeing in the Premier League right now. That's what those teams are. Many of them are going through. So avoids fatigue, injuries, all of that sort of stuff. Yeah, and and kind of going back to the question of finances and actually taking us on to our next topic. There's been some movement of players um, from uh, USL League One teams, championship teams, uh, clubs willing to pay transfer fees to get guys out of contracts. Just curious about your your feelings about that, whether you kind of, you know, was this what people were anticipating or is everyone kind of waiting and seeing like maybe that is going to happen, maybe it isn't going to happen. And what do you think that means for the league and um, USL League One in particular? Where I think it should be a positive showing players if you perform, there's an opportunity to to move on to, to teams and divisions above? Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's great. Uh, it's great for USL League One. Uh, it's great for soccer in our in our country, for now the, the fans that love the sport can see that some of the smaller clubs now can advance some of their players to the next level, and then hopefully uh, what will now happen is MLS clubs will come in and now start buying some of the young players from – uh, the championship, or even USL League One. I, I wouldn't put it past some MLS club saying, hey, look, if, if a championship team can buy a player from the, the USL League One, why can't we? And so, um, you know, I, I think it's great. Um, I, I do, you know, have a little bit of inside information on the price tags for mm-hmm. the players, at least two of the three that have been sold. Uh, I would have liked to have seen them be a little bit higher. Yep. Uh, but at the same time, beggars can't be choosers. And it's setting a precedence of you can't just come in and take our players for free. Right. You're going to have to pay a price tag. And, and you've got championship clubs now that have the the the, the backing, uh, the, the financial backing, that if you keep it at a certain level for years one and two, eventually it's going to grow and grow. So um, the three players that were sold, I thought were all deserving of being sold. Uh, we have had some inquiries about a few of our players. Um, so there's some possibilities, but at the same time, uh, the three players that did get sold were a lot younger uh, yeah. I think than guys on our roster. Uh, that being said, um, there are some teams that would rather have a more veteran guy, uh, and so there has been some discussions with us. And it's just it's got to be the right fit, right? Because what we're not going to do is just give a player away for a couple of thousand dollars when we think we can, you know, do better right. than that. So uh, I think it's a great start. Uh, from our league. I, I know Tormenta benefits from it. Greenville benefits from it. Richmond benefits from it. So kudos to them for, for getting mm-hmm. it done and, and getting it started. And I think it will start to grow even more and more as we continue. Great. And and this kind of highlights something I'm interested in uh, as well. Your role really is, is not just, you know, as we think of like a head coach, but you're also the technical director. So you have to also oversee the, the business side of things a little bit more. Looking at these transfers, you're a little bit more like an old-style English manager. And what I was kind of curious about is, as you've been going through this, has this given you any insight on kind of a bigger topic, which is when these, we've seen over the last couple of years, uh, when these big old-school old English managers, I think of Alex Ferguson, I think of uh, uh, Wenger at, at Arsenal have left, they've had a real hard time replacing them. We've seen these clubs struggle. and And so what... What is it about that position, you know, that you're occupying now here that that makes it so difficult to replace? And and what have you learned in in this new kind of role? 
Yeah, I mean, look, you look at Man U and you look at Arsenal and, you know, everybody, uh, you know, I'm sitting next to a Liverpool fan here who's loving the fact that Man U and Arsenal are not what they used to be. Um, Two of them. Yeah, and and so, um, you know, it's it's a dying breed, I think, is probably the right way to say it. And even when you look at MLS, you still have a couple of them where Peter Vermes is still wearing two hats. Bruce Arena is now going to wear two hats. Uh, but then you look at, you know, LAFC and, and Bob Bradley, even though he probably not by title um, doesn't wear those hats, he really does. And, and so he's got obviously Mike Sorber, who's his director of soccer operations. And then he's got John Thorrington, who was a good player and, and now has trans, you know, uh, transitioned into his role. Um, but Bob's still got a big, a big pulse on who, comes to his club and, and, and who, uh, what players they get and everything. And so I, I think it's important. We, we've always said, even when I was on the staff with the fire, we never really had a technical director uh, back then. But what we did is the coach always had a say in who he was going to coach. And, and so, you know, there's a wish list that comes out and you put your wish list together and then you've got to prioritize that wish list. Uh, but then you've got to change your roles of, okay, I'm the technical director, so I've got to negotiate contracts and I've got to negotiate these things. But at the same time, after that's done and said, you've got to now turn around and, and now manage that player and coach that player. And so with Peter leaving, uh, it becomes a little bit more unique from my side of things. And so the way we did it last year was I identified the players with Peter, but I let Peter handle all the contracts. And, and so I was removed from those discussions, which I still feel is important because I don't want to be the guy that nickels and dimes a kid for $100 or $200 a month and then turns around in my next breath and says, go run through that wall for me. So uh, it's a, it's a <laughs> yeah, hard it's balance. Yeah. Um, so the unique thing here is now with Connor uh, Koya, obviously owner, taking over a little bit of Peter's responsibilities. We've got a dialogue now where if it's a contract situation where I don't think I, w- I want to handle it, uh, I think it's going to get a little messy. Then I'm going to just put it on his hands. I'm going to let him become the guy that deals with the contracts. Uh, and then I'll deal uh, with the player itself. But that being said, it, it's not been difficult. It's not the first time I've done this. When you work in lower league soccer, it, mm-hmm. it yeah. becomes a norm. Um, but the reasons, I think, over there why it can't be replaced is because now you've got all these younger managers uh, or these coaches that all they want to do is coach, and they don't want to you know, they want to manage their players, but they don't want to have a say in – what players are brought in and for me you can't be successful as a coach if you don't have a say in what players are going to be brought in and what players aren't going to be brought in I mean but there is something to be said for kind of I think what Keith was getting at is the you know or you said the kind of you know they're almost dinosaurs the thought of like an Alex Ferguson kind of controlling every aspect of the club they have a system right I mean and maybe Red <clears throat> excuse me Red Bull Salzburg being a perfect example they yeah. You know, Liverpool's about to sign another player from them. I think that's the fourth player that has come through that system that is now going to end up at Liverpool. So it's clear they've decided how they want to play and how they want to develop, develop players, and they find a manager who kind of fits that role, well, right? And, and You're not coming in and yeah. tearing up the playbook every two, or ha- two sure. and a half, three years, which is basically what Man United has had to do with managers who are very, very different. And I think kind of speaks to this new way of building clubs, right? Like a, we have a we have an identity 
And then we're going to find managers who kind of fit into that identity with the caveat that, yeah, of course, they still should have control over the players that are yeah, coming Yeah, absolutely. And, and to be fair, Red Bull is probably one of the few clubs that does it club-wide, regardless of where, you know, you got Red Bull Leipzig, Red Bull yeah. Salzburg, Red Bull New York. And all three of them, to a T, have the same concept of, we're going to go out, we're going to get the best young players that we have, and then after we get the best young players, we're going to develop them, and they're going to move on. So, you know, yep. Tyler Adams goes from Red Bull New York, New York yeah. to Red Bull Leipzig, and he's now one of the best players at Red Bull Leipzig when he's healthy. The plan probably is in two or three years, Tyler Adams will be playing at Liverpool, or right. Tyler Adams will be playing at, you know. Yeah. Fell in the blank, big club. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, yeah, I mean, Salzburg and, and I mean, Jesse's unique because Jesse, um, you know, somebody the other day uh, texted me and said, when's Jesse going to be uh, Klopp's assistant? Um, <laughs> and, and it was because Klopp was so uh, complimentary yeah. of Jesse. But, you know, I I, I – were you on our group text? No, I wasn't. <laughs> there was some discussion about that on our group text the other day that uh, he may be pipping yeah. Steven Gerrard to being uh, Klopp's replacement. I think I think most of you probably know Jesse and I are pretty close. Right. I mean, we've we've got a history. Uh, I spent time with them at Leipzig last year when I went on my uh, excursion over <laughs> over the world and yonder. Um, Around I, the world still, in forty days. Yeah, I still talk to Jesse uh, not as much, but I, we still. You know, we're in communication once or twice a month, um, you know, and so to watch what he's done, but that's what he built at Red Bull New York, yeah. and, and he believed in that. He believes in what they have to do, and on my drive over here, I was listening to the radio, and they're talking about the same thing now with college football, with the NFL and, and college football, and the reason they're wanting to go hire college football coaches to the NFL is because now all these quarterbacks are a part of a system, mm-hmm. and they're doing well in the NFL. It's They want to take that system and put it in, but you don't have that in the old days of the NFL. It used to be, okay, you have a system in college, but when you come to the NFL, you're going to play this system, right. and it's kind of the same in our sport. You know, Man U always had a system, and they went out and they found the players to fit that system. But when you have the same manager for 30-odd years, you know, it's easy to do that. Now you go out and you, you know, you hire David Moyes, then you hire the next manager, then you hire the next manager, and there's no patience amongst the fans, Mm -hmm. and there's no patience amongst the ownership groups of, we're not winning, we have to change the manager. You know, and it's never... Should we change the players or should we go back to how come it was working before right. and how can we get it back to that? I, I think as well part of it is the, the you know, world has changed. There's more scope to uh, scope to who people are recruiting from. I mean, when Alex Ferguson, you know, started in the Premier League, uh, it, you know, First of all, his great technical innovation in terms of health and fitness was guys shouldn't play hungover. <laughs> and then the other kind of innovate, you know, they didn't go as far afield for players. Now you look at a squad in the Premier League, they've got guys from Africa. You look at, you know, Salzburg, they're, they're recruiting from all over. And so it's a much greater scope. And I think that's one of the things as well, that you need more eyes out there. To, to scout and look at this global kind of thing. So we've talked a little bit about, you know, how the team started getting built. And, and I think, you know, one of the things that you had start going in is you and Peter had worked together. Uh, you had a working relationship. So, 
can you take us through the early months of the club last year? Because I think one of the things we wanted, we did, we enjoyed from last time, and we may be repeating a little bit, but nobody's heard it, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> is kind of go a, into a little bit of year end review from from last year. And so as you're assembling a squad and you're in this process now again, you have an idea in your mind with how you want to play and you know how are you guys working to to find these players and how did you work to to get guys in in the past yeah i mean look last year it, it was no secret we were a, a new club uh with an unfound identity uh a, a very unknown you know unknown chartered waters um f- to say the least we, we didn't know what was going to happen here we we didn't know that our home opener was going to be three inches of snow. We, we didn't know that there was still going to be a sold-out stadium and that wasn't the last time it was going to be sold out. You know, I, I've been a part of some lower league teams where the first couple games, everybody comes, and then, you know, after that, it's very sparse yeah. in, in the seats and everything. So when we set out to build our group last year, we, we talked about two things. We talked about, obviously, on the field, we have to be good. We, we have to be... Uh, entertaining. We have to be a brand of soccer that when our fans come, when they leave, regardless of whether we won, lost, or tied, when they left, they are questioning when's the next game. This is a team that we want to support. This is a team we want to come back and watch. This is exciting. Uh, I think we've we've used the word uh, when building this roster and getting all these inquiries. Everybody says, oh, I've got a nephew who can play, and oh, I've got this that can play. And, you know, what I used to say is uh, – this is not a Sunday pub league team, okay? This is not where guys can just come out once a week, have a kick around, and then go play in a game. This is professional soccer. These kids are going to get paid maybe not exorbitant amounts of money, but they're getting paid good money to play an exciting brand of soccer. So, one, we knew we needed to have guys that bought into that and were going to show up every day and, and do their jobs. Off the field, though, was even more important. We, we wanted quality character people, and, and we wanted guys that um, understood that this had the, the potential of blowing up. Mm-hmm. This really had the potential of being something special. And, and I think credit to the fans, credit to you know everybody who's involved, this blew up. And this became big, and, and it's still big, and it's awesome. Um, you know, So I think uh, we were just down at the summit in – Everybody that like came up and looked at my name tag um, was like, oh, man, you're part of that club. And I was like, I am. What's your role? And I said, well, I'm the coach and technical director. Great job. You know, great job. Uh, I sat down with um, Paul Dalgleish, who uh, is the, the coach, or actually he's the president and general manager of Miami FC, who just now announced that they're in the championship and he was sitting there with a man who I knew and I was like, but I had never met before. So I come over, Paul says, Hey, come on, sit down. He goes, have you met Warren Barton before? I was like, no, I haven't Warren. Nice to meet you. And Paul says to Warren, this is uh, my, my friend, Daryl Shore. He coaches forward Madison. He goes to flamingos. <laughs> and this is Warren Barton who yeah. doesn't have to understand who we are or whatnot, but this is a pretty big name on television now yeah, and, yeah. and played at a high level, but he knew who we were. I'm not going to take credit for this, just a little bit. So he, <laughs> he tweeted, I forget, I'm trying to remember how this all happened. He tweeted about some team in England having like an old school clock, and, uh, and he said something about like every, everyone should have this, and I tweeted at him a picture of our 
flamingo the flamingo clock. clock, and he he like liked the tweet, and so I'd like to. I think I played some small part in uh, bringing Warren yeah. to be aware of Foley yeah, Madison. Cuba played a bigger part, <laughs> probably. Cuba, <laughs> who's that? The the, the 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 underlying thing here is we did things the right way, and, and on the field, yes. off the field, as a club, we did things the right way. So now, as we go in, uh, you know, year in review, was it a successful year? Yes and no. Yes, it was because we were a good team. We did well. Uh, we had a good Open Cup run. We made the playoffs. Um, more importantly, off the field, everything was great. The flock is unbelievable. The charitable contributions that they do. But the fan, I don't, I, I always, everyone always talks about the flock. But I always say you got to remember the fans that sat behind, behind the benches. They were there every week as well, yeah. and they they were very you know into it, knowledgeable, great. Then you have the fans that came for the food and drink, uh, but they kept coming too. So it's not like you just had one group of fans that yeah. came and nobody yeah. else came. So that part was great. But now, as we, why I say maybe not so successful is we didn't win the championship. Yep. And again, I said this at the at the beginning of the year, we put a roster together that we thought was gonna be good enough to win the championship. And so from that part of it, we were close. But we didn't do it. So as transparent as we are as a club, as transparent as I am as a, as a coach and, and a technical director, we have to get better. Uh, so we've made some decisions in the offseason to bring some guys back. We've made some decisions to try and negotiate with a few guys. And then we made some decisions to let a few guys go. Um, and those are tough decisions. But now we are trying to find a roster that's going to make us better. Uh, hopefully within the next couple of days we'll be able to announce that we have signed a player from a different team in our league, uh, one that we're excited about. It's an offensive player. He's an attacker, brings a different element to our game uh, that we're excited about. Um, and we're in negotiations with a few other um, players as well. We, uh, Connor and I had the opportunity before Thanksgiving to head over to England. Uh, I think some people know about that. Uh, we've met with a championship team in England uh, about a possible partnership. Uh, we're in negotiations right now about bringing one of their young players over on loan. Uh, hopefully we'll be able to announce that before Christmas to give everybody a Christmas present. But <laughs> it's a pretty special thing of, of what we, uh, if we can pull this off, uh, I don't think anybody else in our league especially, and I think Tampa's the only other team that would pull this off. But for us to be able to work with a, you, a an English championship side who has aspirations of being in the Premier League sooner rather than later, I think would be a big coup for us. I think you should announce it on uh, Boxing Day Ooh, as a little throw. Yeah. A little th- Throw a little maybe bone a, to our to our English there. brethren. <laughs> uh, so you mentioned in your comments and and earlier about the U.S. Open Cup, and one of the things I think that that we all understood as fans is that the U.S. Open Cup was really important to the team and to the club. Why did you guys choose to prioritize that? Uh, and uh, obviously, it'll be a, a priority again, as we talked a little bit about. What was it specifically about that that you know? It, it's your. It's your opportunity to play the Giants. It's your opportunity to make a name for your club, not just locally, but nationally. Um, I was a part of a Chicago Chicago Fire coaching staff that prioritized the Open Cup, and and the reasons were simple. It's your chance to win a championship, and there's only – there's only three championships you can win uh, in each league, and it's your your regular season title, uh, it's your cup title, and then it's the Open Cup. And there's been 
two teams or three teams in the MLS era era that have won it, uh, Rochester and Richmond. Uh, are we ever going to win an Open Cup? No, probably not. But we really wanted to get the, the furthest of any USL League One team, which we did. My goal was I wanted to bring an MLS team here in an Open Cup environment just to show our fans what it would have been like to have a Division One team here playing in a cup competition in a game that mattered so our players can prove their worth. And mm-hmm. so for me, I think it was important to put a lot of um, stake in the Open Cup. Plus, it's, you know, at the end of the day, for the players, it's money. I yeah. mean, it's, it's about money. And we don't make a lot of money. Our players don't make a lot of money. But the ability for them, if they go the furthest in our division, to win a prize, uh, you know, you don't win a there's no prize money for winning the USL championship. There's just, you know, you, you say, hey, we're the best team in USL League One. We won the championship. And the players have bonuses that we as a club give them, mm-hmm. but USL doesn't give them a cash prize. So why not take the Open Cup and say, hey, guys, here's your cash prize. You know, it's, it's a dollar amount that you're going to win if you are the last League One team standing. And we were able to accomplish that. And, and again, it's one of those things where, we wanted to prove that not only could we compete in the USL League One, but we wanted to prove that we would be able to compete against championship teams. The the interesting thing about the US Open Cup run was it took a little bit away from the USL League One run, just as you said, from fatigue, playing every week, playing midweek. Uh, what, how did that affect sort of the tactical approach that you took? I know... You know, one of the things that you hear frequently when people talk about the Premier League right now, it's with Leicester. Uh, for Liverpool fans such as Dan and I, we've done way too much outside league talk. Uh, when Brendan Rodgers was in charge of the club in 13-14, they talked about how we didn't have that midweek match to prepare for. How did that affect, you know, the training that you could do with the guys, the tactical preparations you could do for matches, having that, that much going on that quickly during that time? Yeah, it was tough. I mean, we, we, again, we counted on hopefully having our Minnesota guys. We didn't have them. So we had 17 healthy bodies uh, for 11 games in 33 days. So it was really more about how do we manage uh, the minutes and how do we Did manage. you ever consider that maybe we should just pull up Dan? Um, for about a half a second. <laughs> and then I almost had a, a, a heart attack from laughing so much. So, um, I would have had a heart attack, yeah. period. <laughs> so, uh, Just the first minute out uh, on training. Yeah. So, so the answer to that is no. Okay, um, good. But uh, it was hard. I mean, it, it was hard. And, and I'd be lying if I didn't say it affected us a little bit. Um, you know, once the season was over... We were going through a few things. Uh, one of, I think it might have been Neil or someone else, said, you know, we were in last place. I said, yeah. I said no, we weren't. He's like, yeah, we yeah, were in we last were, place. Yeah. I was like, when were we in last place? I don't remember. I think it was like one week where I think we may have had some games in hand, but, yeah, we were yeah. we were in 10th place. So, yeah. And I said to him, I said, but how many points out of the playoffs were we? And he's yeah. like, oh, it was like four, four or five. I was yeah. like, all right. So in a 10-team league, being yeah. four points out of, yeah. out of a playoff spot, yeah, you're in last place, but you're – you're able to get out of it. So we knew once the Open Cup run was over, once we were able to recharge the batteries, once uh, you know we got our guys from Minnesota back, we knew we were going to be able to make a run. The one thing you didn't want to do was get in too big of a hole. Uh, you know, uh, Orlando got into too big of a hole by losing too many games early, and their season was done halfway through the season. Even yeah. though, even though they were still good and they still had teams that, that they were, they won some games. In fact, they beat us at their place. It was one of those things where they 
they were just too deep and they couldn't dig out. Yeah, so, it's too many teams to have to jump leapfrog and too many things you need to have right. happen. So, so we kept it close there, but it was really more about not tactical training sessions, but regen sessions and, and just making sure that the guys understood what their roles were. And, and now it was, you know, part of it was still what started slipping away a little bit was our discipline, uh, our defensive discipline, um, where we wanted to defend, uh, our concentration. Uh, we lost four games at home by one goal, like one nothing. I think all four games we lost at home were one nothing. Uh, that you usually don't see that at home. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and we created a lot of chances this year. We, we created a lot of chances. I think we were second or third in the league in chances created. Uh, the problem was we were like sixth or seventh in goals scored. So yep. that's, that's a problem. Yep. Uh, the good thing, though, was we were second in the league in goals against. And that really came towards the middle to end yeah. of the season where we kind of re-found ourselves defensively and, and re-emphasized our defensive Moments. Dan, do you want to take credit for that as well? <laughs> what happened? Do you well, think yeah, it was your is, Facebook page? Yeah, this was the famous, the Lansing game um, where I was, you know, the game away at Lansing where, you know, it looks like, oh, my gosh, we just great point on the road and then give up the late guy. You know, we don't have to go through all that. And I posted on Facebook, we need to stop conceding goals, um, which Keith found hilarious because, you know. The, the, the trash can in the locker room found that hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> the I was, I think the point of it was, I was just very frustrated because it was clear we were a good team, but we were, we were giving up some sloppy goals. And one thing Keith and I started to notice later in the season is, and I think, uh, uh on a, on the other podcast that shall not be named, you took a little bit of, uh, took a little bit of stick, um, when someone called you a counterattacking team and you kind of said, well, we're more of a possession team, but it did seem later in the season that, there was there was a compactness to the way we defended, which I think you're you're kind of alluding to, and maybe conceding a little bit more possession and 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 I don't want it to sound like we we're playing long ball, but like when we won the ball back, we attacked with purpose and like counterattacked with purpose, and there was just a a, a, a kind of a tweak in how we how we were approaching yeah, matches. Yeah, and I think what I said to the unnamed person was <laughs> that. We're not a counterattacking team because where we won the ball right. was in the middle of the field or in our opponent's half of the field. And when you win the ball in those areas of the field, you really can't counterattack. Right. But you can go forward with a purpose. Right. And that was from day one, that was what I always said is that we want to be a team that when we win the ball, we attack with a purpose, regardless of where we win the ball. Uh, but what we had to do is we had to redefine we, we had to redefine ourselves as a defensive minded team. Yep. And, you know, somebody said to me, well, you know, in, in one of the games, it might've been the Lansing, the last Lansing game. They said, well, Lansing had 60% of the possession. I said, yeah, that's great. Like, well, that doesn't concern you. I said, no, it doesn't. And they said, well, why does that not concern you? I said, where did they have 60% yeah. of the possession? And they said, they looked at me like I was an idiot. And I said, I think it was they, near second yeah, base. I said, where, did, yeah, <laughs> second base, right where the field um, yeah. would come up. Yeah. Um, but I said they had possession in their end of the field. Yeah. Who cares? Yep. You know, who who cares if a team if a team wants to possess the ball in their defensive third of the field? What that says to me is great. Have the ball all you want in the defense of the third of the field. Because once you make one bad pass, we're gonna win the ball in that area of the field and now we're gonna create yep. chances. And so um if it means yeah, we wanna be a possession team. Yes, we wanna keep the ball. But if it means a team is gonna have possession against us in their defensive third of the field, have at it. We're going to let that happen. The issues are, if you tell me a team has 60% of the possession in our defensive third, yeah. then we're screwed. Yeah. We're in trouble. Yep. And, and that's that's bad. 
you know, that that's not a good thing. So um, very rarely, very rarely did teams have possession against us in our defensive third of the field. Yeah. And it wasn't that we won it and just lumped it long no. and, and went. We had players that could play. And well, so and I, we I did that. And I remember very early on, uh, you know, having met you before the season started, you kind of talked about wanting to play with essentially two tens, right? I mean, you wanted creative players sitting in behind your striker. And I think that that having players like that makes it a lot easier when you win the ball back in the middle or the final third, you've got guys on the ball like Josie L and Don and Paulo who can kind of interchange. Um, it also seems like when you landed on Eric in the six and JC in the eight, cause there had been some moving or JC had kind of played in the six, I think at mm-hmm. different times, yep. it seemed like once we kind of settled in on that, that midfield, the team looked much more, uh, kind of compact and, and able to, to defend. Yeah, we, we gave away a little bit in the possession part of the uh, of the game with moving JC back up closer to the goal and having Eric as a six. But what we did gain is a guy who was a destroyer yeah. and, and could you know win the ball. And, and Eric got better with his distribution as the year went on. But we knew all along, the, the, the further away from the goal JC was, the harder it was going to be for us to... to you know, create yeah. chances and stuff. We we knew all along that JC needed to be higher up the field. We knew that. We just didn't feel early in the season that the way we wanted to play and keep the ball. Uh, and we also, at that point, also had Jeff uh, Michaud on yep. the team at that time. So there was a guy who, with yeah. Josiel, had we been able to have Jeff the whole season, it might have changed a few things sure. too because yeah. he was a, a, diff, a difference yeah. maker as well. Dynamic but, player in the But so team. it was kind of a blessing in disguise because it allowed us to move JC up, but then Eric solidified his area on the field um, as a you – know, Eric's a center back. Eric is a really – Yeah, by, so I mean, by, is that where you project trade, him out? Center back. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, one of our off-season – needs is we've said we want a six we want a, a true six that can yep. do what eric did but also do what jc did and that's not easy to find right uh but in our discussions with eric coming back for next year he knows that ideally we'd like for him to be a center back but we also now have the caveat of knowing that when we need him he could play as our six yeah and i think that you know and, and jc really i think shown in the second half of the season when i think when he was able to give up some of those defensive responsibilities and get forward and still coming back and making contributions on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, we've, we've talked on a couple of different podcasts. I think like tactically, technically he's, 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 if not the best player on the team, he's right there. And I think maybe he didn't have a chance to show that as it, much earlier in the season. He's a guy that makes managers look smart, right? Because he yeah, solves problems it, in a lot of ways, doesn't it, he? There were a few things with JC that I, I'm sure fans knew about yeah. but didn't know about. I mean, JC yeah. was dealing with his father's yeah. uh, battle with cancer, which he obviously lost uh, early in the season. So uh, JC wasn't JC. He was he was a shell of himself and. And he basically, you know, he was missing some training sessions, which was totally yep. fine. But when we spoke and we talked about the role of playing as a six as opposed to playing as an eight or a ten, you know, he was in the, of the mindset of coach, wherever you want me to play, just yeah. tell me and I'll play. But you, you knew he wasn't himself. So once uh, everything, you know, obviously, unfortunately, with his father passing, but once he got through that and, and I think – uh, when he saw the the love and support that he got from his teammates and and everybody in our organization and the fans, it finally let him come out of his shell and, yep. and and enjoy it again. And he started enjoying it towards the second half of the season. And it also, yeah, it made me look 
brilliant by pushing him up forward. <laughs> um, a lot of this was because of JC and because of his uh, of ability to now do what his father would have wanted him to do, which was flourish and, and everything. Yep. So uh, it was a tough season for him. And I actually think you're going to see bigger and better things. Um, major news announcements for anybody who wore the number 29 J.C. Banks number, right? Yeah. 29? Yeah. J.C. Banks will wear the number 10 next year. So um, that's a, a flash announcement I just gave you guys. We're but, dropping uh, yeah. news left and right <laughs> yeah. all over so, the place. So J.C. is going to be, I think, reinvigorated again. He just had a, a baby, so yeah, he's happy about that. that. And uh, I think you're going to see a, a reinvigorated J.C. Banks next year. That's great. Uh, related to, to, you know, we talked a little bit about where – you're winning, winning the the ball. One of the things I I noticed, at least over the course of this, the year, one of them in particular was against North Texas. Uh, you opened up the match with a kind of a high pressure situation, and then you know uh, against Lansing that away game. I mean the the way that they cut off supply in the midfield with with kind of our wing outside mid, uh, mids or whatever you want to call uh, Paolo and and Don. Uh, dropping in and kind of cutting off supply in that. Were those natural evolutions? Was that a chance because you had seen teams already? I mean, everybody in the league was new, right, when you started the year. Were the, was that ability as much being able to see how teams played against you and then put them in? Was it having the same group longer that you were able to add some tactical, tactical flexibility? And, you know... Is that going – what are we going to see coming going forward from that kind of – Look, the longer you see teams, the more you see teams, the easier it is to scout them and, and try and figure out what their strengths and weaknesses are. Um, North Texas, we knew at our field we could suffocate them a little bit more than you could at their field. Um, it was one of those where, uh, especially when we played them the first time at home and we beat them 4-1 – we knew that they were the – and actually that might have been when we were in last place and they were in first place um, because everybody was so shocked that we beat them and we <laughs> beat them as well as we did. But we knew that they were a young group coming into a hostile environment. They hadn't played in a place like ours all year. They'd had their way with everybody because they could impose their way and their will on teams. So when they got to our place the first time we played them, we said, yeah, we're going to step up our pressure a little bit higher. We're going to put them under pressure – uh, they were rattled. They they, they were rattled, and um, you and know, they admitted it, as much. Afterwards. Yeah, they yeah. did. And and look, at the end of the day, when we played them in the semifinal, you know, for the first fifty five minutes, we were probably the better team. Uh, and, and their coach even said, he goes, "Man, he goes, you guys gave us fits every time we played you." To their credit, they made a great tactical change by taking Pepe from out wide into the middle. One play happens, they score. Another play happens, they score. Game's over. Because when they were up 2 nothing, they, they weren't going to lose, regardless of what we could throw at them. Um, we tried everything we had, but at the end of the day, the best team in our league ended up winning the championship. Yeah. So kudos to them. Uh, as far as, as Lansing went, and the, really the way we defended against Lansing was the way we defended probably the last two months of the season. Of, of We went away from putting Don and Paolo up higher with Danny or with Brian or whoever was our nine and bringing Josiel back. And what we went more towards was our nine and our 10 basically being the starting points of our defensive 
structure and now having two good banks of four yeah. and now getting Don and Paulo to buy into being side by side with Eric and, and JC for the most part, knowing that when we won the ball, they could take off. Josiel would find a spot where we could play it into him or play it into them, and we'd be able to go uh, with the way we play. Obviously, it helps when you had Carter and you had Christian that could get forward and into the attack. So really, it was kind of a, a, a it's how we wanted to defend all year. Uh, but to be fair, early in the year, we really tried to defend out of a 4-3-3 as opposed to defending out of a 4-4-1-1. So uh, I think we found our identity, um, you know, towards the end of the year. Uh, as we build our roster for next year, uh, we have thoughts of, of building that model. But at the same time, as certain players are possibly made available to us, it wouldn't surprise me if we change a little bit and, and change the way we play just because you have to be able to change with the times that are, that are coming. Dan, do you have anything else you want to inquire about there? Um, you, you mentioned Josie L. Um, player I've been more wondering about. He, he was on loan, I believe, from, from, a, from a South American club. Can you say anything about whether we'll see Josie L. Uh, uh, camped out in Madison next year? I, I can. Um, it's not looking good. Okay. Um, the buyout was a ridiculous amount <laughs> of money. Uh, if we would have picked up his option, he would have uh, been a very high number. Okay. Um, so it would have it would have been tough for us to bring Josie L back. Okay. Um, and and we it wasn't from. It's not that. And I, I always say this by the doors not. The, sure. the door is never closed. Uh, when you have a player that you love and you 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 was a big part of our club, the door will never be closed. But Josiel is also going to be 27 years old. Yep. Um, you know, he's got to make some decisions for his family as far as playing at a level where he can be compensated at the level that he probably should be. Um, he just got married during the season. Uh, so it it would be hard for us yep. to bring him back. Sure. It's just a difficult one where it's not that we didn't want him back. It was just that we probably at the end of the day couldn't afford to bring him back and then bring some of the other players back that we're sure. bringing back. So uh, it looks like we're going to move in a, in a different direction with that one. Um, you know, I think we know Sean Russell not coming back, Brian Bement not coming back. I'm, I'm trying to remember if there were any others that I – Sean Russell's not coming back. Brian Bement's not coming back. Uh, Oliver White will not be back. Okay. Um, How about any of the Minnesota guys? No. That'll I mean, be another negotiation that, with them again. Yeah, we're, we're still trying to figure out what we do yep. uh, with that partnership. I mean, it, it's looking like it'll be fine again, but – you know, Wyatt, we'd love Wyatt yeah. back, but I, I and personally... everything we've heard is Wyatt loved, you know, playing with the club. Yeah, Wyatt, Wyatt was great, and Wyatt, I think if you spoke to Wyatt, he would tell you he loved everything about being here. Uh, he loved our group. Uh, he liked what we did in training sessions. Uh, Wyatt needs to play... In my opinion, Wyatt is a an MLS-caliber center back. He just needs a chance to play. I, I think that they will depending on how he does in the preseason, they'll either try to get him out on loan in Europe somewhere or they'll get him on loan uh, to a championship club where it's maybe a little bit more, uh, you know, tougher, uh, even though I would probably disagree with that. But just an environment sure. where it, it's a bigger surface and all that stuff, playing in bigger stadiums and that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. So, um, you know, it, listen, Wyatt, we take back 
in a heartbeat. Uh, Carter's out of contract. Uh, we've told Carter that if he wanted to come back to Madison, he's welcome back. Uh, I think, again, he's another one that I don't know if he has an MLS opportunity, but if not, there's probably plenty of championship clubs that would be able to pay him more money um, than we can. Uh, so we probably won't see Carter back. Um, and then the last one um, that uh, – Well, Carter also has an economics degree from, from Duke, right? Is that, is that <laughs> Yeah, we, so, I don't know if it was so on So I the... think Goldman Sachs can play even more than <laughs> – Keith and I actually – I don't remember if this podcast saw the light of day, but, you know, I, I kind of thought a guy like Carter, you know, this is probably one of those moments in life where you have to decide, am I going to keep playing soccer or am I going to go on and do something else? I, I've never met the man. I've never had a conversation with him, but – you know, he had a contract at the highest level. They don't renew him. What do you do? Is, is, are you still passionate about trying to, to, you know, go down this road or is it time to try something else? And he's got options, which, you know, is great for him. Sure. I mean, listen, when I spoke to him, we meet with every player at the end of the year. So when I spoke with him, he, I, I, he still wants to play. There you go. Uh, this is what he told me. Uh, so that's great. Uh, again, would have him back in a heartbeat, but at the same time, um, understand that yeah. if financially probably not the best fit. Um, the last one uh, that I, I will announce, and it hasn't been made public yet. So you, again, you guys are getting the, you know, the 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 one is. Uh, but we we uh, Ryan Coulter will not be back with us. Um, he has been presented an opportunity to move on to an MLS second team uh, in a great position of uh, same role as us. Uh, but it's with an MLS club to where he will be uh, a goalkeeper coach and, and a goalkeeper. And we made Ryan a, a very good offer, what we thought was a very good offer. And uh, this club came in and, and made him an offer that he couldn't pass up. And, and um, when I heard about it, I was pissed. Uh, and I was probably <laughs> mad. And, and I owe Ryan probably another phone call because when he called me to tell me, I really – I was at the USL Summit. I was in the middle of something and – I kind of was short with him, uh, didn't mean to be, but um, I owe him a, a conversation of, uh, look, I, we appreciate everything he did for our club. Uh, we appreciate everything he did for our fans. Uh, he'll always have a special uh, place in, in our club's yeah. history and everything, but uh, also with what he wants to do with his career, uh, this was an opportunity that he couldn't pass up and, and one that we support fully uh, with him moving on. So. Um, yeah, I mean, it's uh, the problem sometimes in lower league soccer yeah. is the roster turnover. And yep. you try to keep as many good ones as you can, but you're also going to lose some good ones along with the ones that you don't mind losing. I, I think a uh, pretty good spot there to, to kind of wrap up our conversation with, with Coach Shore. Uh, Let's wrap up on somebody leaving. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we, but, but we, you know, we did get the teaser. We're going to have some, maybe a couple announcements before the holidays, some stocking stuffers of new players. And um, just want to say thanks again for coming back. Thanks, Cause thanks uh, you know, in. we, we totally botched things the last time and uh, this may have been even better than last time. And uh, we'll, we'll, cause there's can, no Neil. Yeah, <laughs> can, addition by subtraction, as I said. Can we? Hopefully, we'll have you back uh, to give us a little bit of a preseason uh, preview of uh, what we're looking at in in 2020. Once you get, uh, you're going to have the the invitational tryout session here in early January. Uh, Dan is ticked because when he was with the club, he had to shovel the field. You guys are going to do it indoors, uh, down in Rockford. But uh, hopefully, we'll you know last year that. That kind of setup worked out well. I think Eric Leonard was one of those guys. So mm -hmm. hopefully, you know, some new guys come through that. And, uh, you know, Dan, are you going to try out? 
No, I'm not. Uh, but uh, well, your highlights are from pre YouTube, I Keith, believe. Keith, this year you actually have to submit a video and your and your CV, and I don't even know if Dan's would make it past the cut of getting to the download section. So um, I, I would. I'm trying to think where on the like chart of people reviewing CVs, like who at at, at Forward Madison. If it's Jason, like, I have no chance. Um, <laughs> I was gonna, uh, last thing though. I would think you know you mentioned it that this thing blew up that's it, got to make it a little bit easier to talk to agents and to talk to players and to get people excited about what's going on here yeah it does i mean a, a lot of people want to come um they they want to come here and and it's a it's a great asset for us to have yeah. in fact the player that we'll announce soon um is coming from another usl league one one team uh, he had offers from another team uh our offer though financially Salary wise, may have been a little bit under what another team offered them. Everything else outweighed, uh, you know, the stuff, and we were able to to wrap that deal up. So yeah. we're pretty excited about this player again. Hopefully, we're just waiting on the league to give us uh, approval, and once they do that, then we'll be able to announce the signing. Um, the invite tryouts January seventh and eighth in Rockford. Uh, if you're interested in getting a chance you have to go onto our website you have to download a cv and a video uh we will take a look at it we will then invite players that we feel are comfortable um with a real legitimate chance at making our yeah. club and and um you know i was just at a combine in charlotte north carolina uh was at the one in raleigh with the mls with the minnesota guys uh going to another one in detroit next week or at the end of this week and, and then so it's just we're, we're always looking we're always looking for players we're always looking for guys that can make an impact both on and off the field but uh look we're excited about 2020 uh we we thank you guys for everything you guys do for us as as well as all the other fans and um we know 2019 was special 2020 is going to be even more special it's going to be bigger and better things to come and we're really looking forward to a, another great season speaking of people that have blown up uh opta lee just just texted me we've got a little little segment from opta lee here so let's let's get some statistics this is opta lee coming to you live via recording during this seemingly endless off season in order to pass the time I've been running the numbers on some thrilling hobbies you may want to explore with your free time. The winter months are perfect for adding some outdoor excitement to your life. For instance, you can go skiing at one of Wisconsin's numerous hills. It's one of my favorite pastimes, and only 1 in 1.4 million skiers died on the slopes last year. If you really wanted to replicate the feeling of a forward Madison goal and get your adrenaline going, you could try bungee jumping. It's a safe and exhilarating ride, only sending 1 in 500,000 participants plummeting to their death. Or maybe you're heading off on a sunny vacation to break up the winter. I'd suggest scuba diving, another personal favorite of mine. You get to see the ocean from a perspective few people in history have ever been able to. Plus, only 1 in 34,000 divers found themselves in a watery grave in 2018. On second thought, maybe it's just best to stay indoors this winter. Stay safe and see you guys in the spring. Finally, Dan, any uh, last last words for this this decade? I mean, a whole new decade of Forward Madison coming at us in 2020. It seems like the first decade went by in a year. It, but, it really, uh, time just flew. But yeah, no, just, I mean, I, I think you're starting to see it on, on Facebook and whatnot. Like, people are just kind of like, 
ready for matches to start again. I mean, I, th- I think we were ready pretty much right away, but it is a little strange to go from having something be kind of every week, twice a week, you know, uh, and now it's just, I think people are just, I think particularly once we get through the holidays, it's going to be like, okay, all systems yeah. go. Like when, when are we lacing well, them up? And, and I think it's, it's one of those things that the winter months get, get pretty long. And that, I think the, the, the light at the end of the tunnel is going to be floor, f- fluorescent pink yeah and i would vote for another uh school bus trip to milwaukee to play in that uh dome at marquette that was a <laughs> that was a lot of fun. looking i mean it still was kind of a a seminal moment of the yeah. team like where i was like oh my god there's 50 people on this bus to watch a to watch a uh, a scrimmage basically and, and but a, uh an inflatable trash can. yeah and an inflatable trash can and uh, i would i would do that tomorrow oh if, yeah if if the call came out so stay I mean, stay, stay tuned <laughs> yeah but players report february 13th um, they report February 13th, physicals on the 14th. Here in Madison. Here and in then... Madison. Uh, testing starts on the 15th, and then hopefully we'll be able to announce soon. Uh, the plan is we're going on a little bit of a trip south uh, to play a few games and start preseason. St. <laughs> Louis again? Further south <laughs> than St. Louis. Um, uh, we will play St. Louis. Uh, I can give you that game. We will play St. Louis on February 29th which will be a week before their season opener. So we will do that trip again. But uh, hopefully prior to that, we're, we're working on it right now. But it's looking like we're going to go a little bit further south. Uh, for south St. Louis? <laughs> it's a little bit east of South St. Louis. So, uh, stay, uh, stay tuned. Yeah. Okay. Collinsville. Paducah. Where, Paducah, that was Kentucky. Our opening, opening tournament was Collinsville, Illinois, Easter weekend. That's where we'd start out. Are you guys going to Mingo County? There, there, there was talk of a. <laughs> there was talk of us going to Madison, Mississippi. <laughs> but that I, did not come through. I, I kind of would like, uh, you know, something in Miami because I think flamingos and Miami Vice. I think there's cross content right there. Yes, but we, you never know. Can we get Dan Fallon to get a sponsorship for the flight down there? <laughs> I think you're going to be waiting until 2022 for that sponsorship, at least the third decade of the club. Dan will, Dan will finally come. I got to work on my Tubbs outfit before I work on the sponsorship. If uh, we're going Dan, to Miami. are going to be going to the opening game again this year? Of course. Excellent. Uh, until next decade, uh, we say, as always, uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, we've appreciated those of you who've, who've listened to us thus far. Uh, hopefully this podcast makes it out onto the air. Here, here. And we say forwards, not backwards. Upwards, not forwards. And always twirling, twirling, twirling towards freedom. All right. All right.